Involvement with the criminal justice system is life-changing. It matters. Having a justice system that works is a really important part of a democratic society. I'm Penelope Gibbs, Director of Transform Justice. I'm Rob Allen. I've worked in and around criminal justice all my career. This is the Transform Justice podcast. Throwing light on the criminal justice system. Hearing from people who know. It's about whether the system's fair. And what can be done to make it better. Welcome to this Transform Justice podcast on the single justice procedure. It's the way most crimes are prosecuted in England and Wales, and yet there's no court hearing. Don't worry if you're confused, we'll explain more. I'm joined by two people who spend a lot of time thinking about this hidden part of the criminal justice process. Tristan Kerr, court reporter for the Evening Standard, and Naima Sikande, deputy director of the charity Appeal. Naima, we've got to start with that. What on earth is this single justice procedure thing? It doesn't really say what it means or what it is. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it, either? SJP, single justice procedure. Um, but it's a, it's a process, like you described, where summary offences, so those are low-level offences that are not normally punishable with imprisonment, can be tried and prosecuted using a single magistrate who has access to a legal advisor, and they sit in private often, and they consider a case on the papers. The reason Appeal, the the legal charity that I work for, knows a lot about this uh, is we've been working on the issue of TV licence non-payment prosecutions for the last couple of years. It sounds like a very unsexy area, to be honest. Uh, but the reason we're so involved is that nearly three quarters of people who are prosecuted for not paying their TV license are women. I think it's one of the kinds of crime that has the biggest gender discrimination and gender disproportionality in the way that it's prosecuted. And all of these cases, the vast bulk of them, are prosecuted through the single justice procedure. So imagine, for the sake of argument, you're a woman sat at home on a Friday and you're watching TV and you hear a knock on the door. There's an enforcement officer who says, excuse me, are you watching TV? Do you have a license for that? You say, oh, I didn't remember to renew it. I am watching TV without a valid license. And they'll ask you, you know, can you pay for your license now? And you might say, yes, sure. And you sign up on the door and you pay. Or you might say, you know, no, I'll pay later on mine. You shut the door. You think that's it. Job done. And a few weeks later, you'll get a notice in the post called the Single Justice Procedure Notice that says you're being charged with not having paid your TV license. How would you like to plead? Guilty? Not guilty? And included in the pack is a form to fill out asking, you know, various bits of information such as your financial details. Once you filled all of that out, that packet goes to, as we said, a single magistrate. So just one magistrate who sits by themselves. No idea how these decisions are made. But then the magistrate will find you guilty or not guilty. You get another notice in the post informing you of your conviction or of your acquittal of the charges. Yeah. Uh, can I come back to you on that, Naima? It's, it's, I mean, what you say about women being discriminated against, what's that all about? Is it that they happen to just answer the door to the enforcement officer, the enforcement officer gets a name, and then they're the ones that get into this system? There may be a, 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 a boyfriend, a partner as a householder as well, if they don't answer the door, they don't. It, it seems a bit of a lottery. Is that your experience? I think it is a bit of a lottery. Um, we had a client who uh, answered the door on a day. A young single mother had just been released from the hospital after having a second child. And none of the bills in the house were in her name. She spoke to the enforcement officer and informed him of that on the doorstep. She even called up her husband, whose name was on the TV license, who spoke to the enforcement officer and said, no, it's in my name. We know it's expired. We'll, we'll pay for it. 
Uh, and lo and behold, three weeks later, she got a prosecution notice in the post informing her that because she was the one who spoke to the enforcement officer, she was liable as the householder who responded for not paying the TV license. So to be honest, we don't really know. Um, the BBC attempted to do a gender disparity review back in 2017. What, what on earth is that? Night what is a gender disparity review? <laughs> Basically, they had a look at the statistics, got really concerned and thought, let's have a look at it. Let's see if we can work out from our internal statistics why so many more women than men end up being prosecuted, even though 50-50 men and women are registered licensed fee owners. So to be honest, Rob, we don't really know. The exciting news is, thanks uh, in part to litigation that we started along with our partners at the Public Law Project, uh, they've agreed to do another gender disparity review. So they're having another look at the statistics and trying to work out why it is that there is such a disproportionality. But it's been true and getting worse for the last decade. Well, I, I was one of the people who didn't know much about this until I started to do a bit of research for this. And I read that about half a million cases a year are dealt with through this single justice procedure. Tristan, why do you think people don't know about it? The, the Ministry of Justice say in the in the blurb that they produce about it that decisions are open to scrutiny by the media and the public. Is that your view of it or no? No, it's not, Rob. The, the Ministry of Justice's rhetoric around the single justice procedure is that it is a, a quick and efficient way of dealing with prosecutions and they say in a way that is open to scrutiny and the, the public can find out about if they want to. Well my experience is that even the most enthusiastic person wanting to find out about what's going on in the single justice procedure faces an uphill challenge just, just to get started and to find out a that there are any cases and b what on earth they're about. Whereas previously, all of these cases that we're talking about would have been dealt with in an open court where you could go in and sit, you could listen to the facts of the case, listen to what the allegations are, sometimes hear the defendant explain themselves, and then watch as, as a magist the magistrates came to a decision. Well, not, you can't do that anymore, and you have to ferret around in the inner workings of the court to find court papers that can be disclosed to you. The, the vast majority of reporters like me, court reporters, even the specialist court reporters who do this for a living, either don't know that there are single justice procedure courts sitting in their area, or if they do, it's far too hard for them to get into the details of the cases. So uh, the, the rhetoric might be that these cases are open to scrutiny, but the Ministry of Justice does very little to actually promote that. And the reality is that they're not open to scrutiny at all, really. I mean, we've heard about not paying your TV licence. The other kinds of cases that go into this process are speeding, perhaps not wearing a mask on a tube when that was against the rules. Pretty trivial, minor things. Isn't there an argument that actually this is a sort of speedy way of dealing with this kind of minor law-breaking and, and we need to leave the courts to get on with the more serious stuff. We hear some serious offences taking literally years to come to trial. Isn't this a, a sort of sensible way of filtering out relatively minor stuff and dealing with it quickly? I, I think there is. I, I'm a big critic of the single justice procedure, but I'm, I'm not completely uh, closed off to the argument for making the courts more efficient. Now, it, it's important for everybody listening to this to understand that we are talking about the low-level offences. We're talking about, as you said, something as, as seemingly trivial as um, being prosecuted for fishing without a rod licence through 
the whole gamut of driving offences where they're not, you know, the the level of dangerous driving or, or drink driving. Uh, we're talking about not paying train fares, TV licensing. We're talking about the bottom end. But what's important to note is that even though it's the bottom end, uh, these are still criminal prosecutions and they, they end up on somebody's record when they're prosecuted. And when you're dealing with speeding offences or train fares or TV licences, it's difficult to get anyone to to really care, putting it frankly. Well, that's come into sharp focus in the last two years because the government decided to put all the COVID offences through the single justice procedure as well. And so now we have hundreds upon hundreds thousands even of people being prosecuted for COVID offences in a system that is less than transparent. I can give one example. A 21-year-old man, I think student from Kingston, was accused of having a party when the country was in one of the national lockdowns. He was issued with a fine. He uh, sought to challenge the fine and got a letter through saying, oh, you know, the police have closed the case. Don't worry about it no problems at all. The next thing that happened was that he got a letter saying that he'd been prosecuted and convicted in court and he now had to pay a fine somewhere in the region of £12,000. In a hearing that nobody could have attended because it's in a closed court SJP, in circumstances where he wasn't even aware that he was being prosecuted and so therefore had put forward no information on his own behalf and he then spent almost a year going through a court process to see if he could overturn the fine, um, challenge the conviction, put forward some mitigation to the court. That's where we're at. So when we talk, when we talk about in 2015 a system introduced uh, for, uh, in inverted commas, low-level offences, well, the reason it matters is because it's now dealing with things that are very much not low-level offences and, and, and are having sort of life-changing impact on people. I just wanted to cut in as well because I think... Our clients' experiences of going through the single justice procedure, despite these being for low-level offences, is largely really distressing. Just because you're being prosecuted for not paying your TV licence doesn't mean that somebody who's vulnerable doesn't feel under immense pressure when they don't understand the process that's happening, when they are being threatened with prosecution for a crime, when they are afraid of what that might do to their criminal record, and particularly when they're financially vulnerable. One of the things we've noticed from representing people in these cases is nearly 100% of the women that we've been representing are financially vulnerable. So they might be on universal credit, they might be single carers, they are struggling to make ends meet and often paying the bills as a decision between the bills of which you've got enough money to pay for that month and what isn't a priority. And quite frankly, even though the maximum fine in a lot of these cases is £1,000, £1,000 is a huge amount of money to somebody who's in a financially precarious position. So although we're saying it's sort of low-level offences, we're dealing with people who are incredibly distressed and incredibly traumatised at the potential impact. And the other thing to realise is often the government comes back and says, well, you know, these don't leave you with a criminal record. But if you have a job that requires an enhanced DBS check, disclosure and barring service check, these things do come up in those. And so, you know, we know especially for women who tend to be in uh, more caring professions where often enhanced DBS checks are required, there's also a disproportionate impact there on someone's life. And that what we can't forget as well is if you aren't able to keep up with your payments of a fine, you actually risk imprisonment. So, Although it's not a direct consequence, you know, there's a collateral consequence potentially down the line that if you can't keep up with payments, your liberty's at risk. 
So although it might be the bottom end of the criminal justice system, I think it's really important not to lose perspective that for the individual that's going through this, it can be truly devastating. It can be incredibly scary. It can be often their only contact with the criminal justice system. And I think actually the volume of these offences speaks really loudly in the sense that this is half of all cases that come up in the criminal justice system. Over half, Naima, yeah. Yeah, so in terms of why should people care... You know, you're likely to come up against this at some point in your life. Someone around you is likely to come up against this again at some point in your life. And if you were being prosecuted, you would want there to be due process. You'd want there to be scrutiny. You'd want there that if there were mistakes made, that it's possible to overturn those mistakes and have it corrected. You know, we all want to be treated as individuals and with fair due process, regardless of whether you're prosecuted for, you know, jumping a train barrier or something more serious. Tristan, going back to your COVID case... I mean, the, the thing that's amazing to me is that they've put these enormous fines through this process, that you can get a fine through the single justice process of, of say, £10,000 or more. So previously, I think they'd always, you know, the government had always said, oh, don't worry, it's kind of quite, you know, it's not a lot of money we're talking about, low level, not high stakes. Whereas with the COVID cases, we're getting to really quite high stakes. Absolutely. I, I, I've got to say, I was pretty staggered when I found out that the single justice procedure was going to be dealing with COVID cases full stop, because it was quite clear from early on that uh, the law was quite complicated and uh, people wouldn't necessarily know legally whether they'd committed a crime or not. And so for, for, a, for a, a case like that to be reduced down to uh, some paper sent in the post, and a tick box, guilty or not guilty, when in circumstances where you almost certainly wouldn't seek out a lawyer to see what, what you had or hadn't done. Uh, I thought it was, it was um, a, a, I'd say, an amazing decision, but that makes it sound good, uh, the opposite of amazing. And, and even more staggering is that they included the top-level fines, so the £10,000 fines, five-figure sums being imposed by magistrates. In, I think it's provable that they spent about five minutes looking at the evidence and then convicted in, in, in circumstances where there are high, high levels of people who don't plead guilty or not guilty they simply don't reply to the letter sent to them in the, in the office we call it conveyable justice yeah so say tristan explain that so in this covid case or other cases you get sent a letter if it gets lost in the post if it goes to the wrong address if you don't open it if it you, you mislay it the process continues anyway even if you don't respond one way or another is that what you're saying that's right that you get sent a letter you you have a, a time limit to reply and if you don't reply then the court will just deal with the case as if you haven't entered a plea at all you haven't said guilty you haven't said not guilty so they will conduct what is essentially a mini trial uh, looking at the police evidence that's been put forward which is essentially just one police officer's statement usually saying this happened there's nothing in response therefore it goes to conviction unless there's a a glaring error that they they spot and then they'll sentence at the same time so there's no second opportunity to get involved if we take it back from the covid offenses to to things like speeding which i agree entirely with naima those are things that do matter to people and put them under a lot of pressure and and stress and and potentially a lot of money for some people to find and and end up with a with a conviction on their record i used to go down to the courts uh, every now and then to sit in the speeding cases and you'd sit there and there'd be you know sort of 50 or 60 cases due to be heard on a morning and uh, often what happened was some people turned up for their case 
clutching their letter. They they got it late. They they realised there was a hearing, and they, they came down to court, and and it was explained to them what was going on. Uh, the prosecutor would sit down with them and and to show them the papers and show them exactly what their options were. So they they got a, a level of advice. Clearly, if there's no court hearing, as there is an SJP, then they don't get that anymore. And that's that's critically the other part of it is that there was always a prosecutor in those courts. There was always somebody there to look at the case and say, and you know, perhaps say, oh, well, the police have got this wrong or this doesn't make sense or we're missing a vital piece of evidence and so therefore this case shouldn't proceed. Well, in SJP, there's there's no prosecutor. There's nobody there sort of uh, marshalling the cases to check that there's not something terrible going wrong and having taken a, a, a very close interest in the COVID cases, I think we can be sure that there are things going wrong so on the on the covid cases i mean actually the government admitted uh in response to a parliamentary question that there were like i don't know six percent of mistakes in all the covid cases which is thousands of mistakes and we know that the police found it quite difficult to understand i mean the law kept changing and the police did make a lot of mistakes that's that's right. And I, I got hold of some internal notes of meetings that were conducted between the courts and the police uh, and various justice officials where they accepted in sort of April, May time that there was an error rate in the COVID crimes. Now, this is, I think, very significant that knowing that there was an error rate, the Attorney General suggested that the single justice procedure might not be the best process to prosecute COVID crimes. Well, there was discussions that went on at some committee meetings and the attorney general's decision after those those discussions was that SJP should be used so accepting that there would be mistakes made they ploughed on regardless and at the time that was because we were in the you know sort of the height of the first wave of the pandemic and there was perhaps you could argue a pressing need to do things in a much more efficient way well we're more than 2 years on now and we're still doing it and nobody has sought to fix the error rate or, or, or make any changes. And I think there was something in Parliament just the other day saying that they, they've not conducted any review of SJP being used for COVID cases over the last two years. So uh, I'm afraid it, it has the impression of they, they really don't care. Mm. Obviously, there are errors in terms of people effectively being found guilty when they when they aren't. But in terms of the kind of sentence and the disposal, I mean, Naima, most of the cases I guess you deal with, people are getting fined. As you've said, they're, they're often people in difficult circumstances. They haven't got a lot of money. The courts are supposed to take account of people's means, aren't they, when they fix the level of a fine? I mean, do you think if people aren't filling the forms in or not filling the forms in correctly, is there a danger with this procedure that magistrate isn't taking proper account of ability to pay when they're setting uh, the amount of a fine. Absolutely. If you if you have no information about someone's financial means, by default, whatever fine you set um, is not going to bear in mind their financial means. Yeah, we've had lots of cases of fines being set uh, at amounts that people feel that they can't pay. What kind of amounts are we talking about? Naima, I mean, we've obviously heard about 10,000, but what kind of amounts are you talking about in, say, TV licensing? Yeah, so the maximum fine uh, is about £1,000. And we've seen fines anywhere. I mean, the highest I think we've dealt with is around £600 plus court costs, which is normally an extra sort of £200. 
generally, if people go ahead to a hearing and you're in front of three magistrates, I'd say the outcomes for people are a lot better because you get to say, well, hang on, I'm struggling. I'm on universal credit. I can't, you know, these are my outgoings. These are my incomings. If you add to this, it's going to be too much of a burden for me. Magistrates do listen. You know, we've seen people be given a conditional discharge, which is, you know, no no penalty basically, and just ordered to pay the court costs as a result of their financial difficulty. But when you just get a letter in the post, uh, and if you don't respond to that letter, the fine amounts are set sort of completely arbitrarily. The lack of um, engagement with the process is something that we should be really, really concerned with because we've got no idea why people aren't responding. You know, we had a client who was visited by an enforcement officer two days before she moved house. She was sent a prosecution notice via the SJP six months later because her old landlord had been collecting her post. She got this post and she'd found that she'd automatically been convicted and set an arbitrary fine completely without her knowledge. She didn't even know because it was sent to the wrong address. There's no system for picking that sort of mistake up. At the moment, a charge is deemed served as soon as it's been posted. There's no obligation for the, the, the prosecution to ensure that the charge has been received, not even check that it's been received by the right person. So there are basic administrative errors that mean that people are getting convicted summarily without any participation at all. And that will be people who are both innocent and guilty. You know, I just think a lot more scrutiny needs to happen as to why it is that people aren't engaging. I I totally agree with that. I actually did some work on that a couple of years ago. And it's an issue that existed before SJP. um, For years, people who were accused of these offences, speeding um, particularly I've looked at, where loads and loads of people didn't come to court to enter a plea. And, and it, it is a problem, and it's one that the Ministry of Justice has actually conducted some research and, and, and made some efforts to to improve it. But it hasn't improved particularly. The one safeguard that they had is that you could say to anybody who is prosecuted for these offences, well, you were told there was a court hearing and you didn't attend the court hearing. Well, we're now in a system whereby it's just simply a letter that's getting, in, you know, getting ignored or, or, or not not responded to not an actual court hearing and I think there's a lot of people who perhaps don't fully grasp that they're being convicted of an offense when um, when, when they are I mean it, 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 it remains slightly baffling that uh, when accused of um, a crime and facing you know hundreds thousands of pounds worth of fines that people don't respond at all and, and then the evidence within the covid offenses is that if you if you enter a guilty plea you could end up paying £100 instead of £900. You mean if you don't respond, you might get a fine for £900, whereas if you do respond and you say you're guilty, it goes down to 100 That's right. As we said before, and I don't think we can totally criticise this, is if the magistrate doesn't have any information at all, then they have a set level of fine that they impose on people regardless of their financial circumstances because they don't know about them. So on a purely financial basis, it makes sense to to engage with the court and yet people don't. And so there's, there's surely some work to be done to find out why. Tristan, I remember a story you wrote where a woman who was plainly actually pretty well off got her fine lowered just on the basis of saying, you know, she couldn't afford the fine. Can you tell us that story? I can, yeah. One of the hallmarks of SJP is that the magistrate appears to take at face value 
anything that's put in front of them unless there's a there's a direct challenge and so the case i think you're referring to is a socialite of ties to the the royal family a very well-off woman who lived uh, believe it or not in a castle who was convicted of a driving offence and sent in her form as everybody had the has the option of setting out their means well she sent in a form saying that she would have cash flow issues if if issued with a big fine uh, and she wound up with a 50 pound fine uh, whereas in other circumstances it would have been hundreds of pounds uh, that's just one example of of sort of you know how the system can come out rather unfair a- another one that i came across um was the footballer um eric lamella he used to play for tottenham and he had quite a number of speeding offences against his name and um, in in the form we talk about conveyor belt justice well I saw his form and it it said he had a a 60 pound wage well this is a Premier League footballer there was clearly a mistake and I think the form maybe didn't go as big as 60,000 pounds which is reportedly what his uh, his wage is as a consequence of his 60 pound a week wage Mr Lamella ended up with not very much to pay at all and so it's I mean that's that's an anomaly of course but it's kind of you know evocative of a system that has been reduced down to form filling spreadsheets and, and perhaps a lack of common sense I mean I think Tristan's bringing up a really important point about the evidentiary standard uh, in these sorts of cases but when you prosecute a crime there are two things to bear in mind one is is there enough evidence to charge and the other is is it in the public interest to charge and at no point is it clear in the process where you're supposed to make representations that hang on I don't think it's actually in the interests of justice for me to be prosecuted If you had a hearing, you'd have an opportunity for the prosecutor to review whether or not it's in the public interest for you to go through with this. But the single justice procedure notice, the online form, it gives you two options. Do you plead guilty or not guilty? And that's it. No other opportunity to put in mitigation to say, hang on, yes, I did. I do plead guilty, but I did it because my abusive partner forced me to drive over the speed limit, for example, or... You know, I had to prioritise my gas bill this month and I wasn't able to pay my TV licensing bill. You know, all these issues that would be taken into consideration with a more serious offence just fall by the wayside. And again, you're on that conveyor belt and it's an automatic conviction because there's no information before the magistrates that allow them to discontinue the prosecution. So, you know, as Tristan sort of said, it's not transparent at all whether you're trying to report on it or whether you're trying to navigate it yourself. And even if you are somebody for whom English is their first language, he's quite switched on, who understands how to advocate on their own behalf, you would have a really tough time working out how to make representations in mitigation in a in a single justice procedure case. So I, I think that's another really important issue. But, but Naima, surely people should pay their TV licence. And there has to be some kind of sanction uh, if they do Absolutely. It's not my job to decide what, you know, what household bills people should or shouldn't pay for. But what I will say is that people have to pay council tax, people have to pay for their water bill, people have to pay for their electricity. And they're not not made into a crime if you don't pay They're not criminalised, exactly. You don't risk a criminal penalty or potential imprisonment if you don't pay a fine for those sorts of things. I just think it's inappropriate for a household bill to be used in the criminal justice system in this way. We've heard a lot that's wrong with this and and you've talked about the lack of transparency and scrutiny and so on and that's important but substantively what what would you do to fix this i mean is this something that you think really needs to be rolled back and we need to get rid of the single justice procedure and go back to the system that preceded it 
or could it be improved, reformed? Uh, could they reduce the number of people who aren't engaging with it and increase participation? Is it, is it salvageable or is it a, something that really we, we ought to get rid of? For, for my part, I, I mean, as much as I'd like to uh, get rid of the whole system, and I don't think that's, that's realistic. I think we, we're in it now and we need to look at how we can make the existing system better to work better for the people in it and for for the people who are not in it i can talk from a from a press perspective as what i'd like to see them do with the single justice procedure to make it uh, more open and more transparent and i think through more transparency you will get more coverage more knowledge about the system and and more um, sort of awareness of people who are actually in there as defendants the first thing i'd do is i think i'd make it legal and possible for journalists to actually attend sessions where cases are being dealt with. The second thing I do is make the process online much more accessible and amenable to not only the people who are in it, but to journalists who might want to cover it. And then the third thing is for the government, because and the courts, they're the ones who are doing this, is to really set out for people in clear detail what it means to go through this this kind of a court hearing drive it home that it is actually a court process that there are convictions going on this at every stage of the process this is what's going to happen and these are the consequences Naomi can you just very briefly say in terms of tv licensing how you think the whole thing could be made better well, first of all, non-payment of the TV license fine needs to be decriminalised. It needs to be taken out of the system entirely. Um, I think that'd be a very simple way of reducing the number of cases in the criminal system uh, and also improving outcomes for vulnerable people. The second to that, we've got to understand why there's such a high rate of non-responses. Uh, if we don't understand that and if we can't improve the rate of people engaging with this system, um, it's not worth the paper that your charging notice is written on. So, you know, we should ensure prosecutors ensure that the letters are delivered and received, not just delivered, but also received by the defendant and the right defendant. I also think there's an issue around vulnerability. I think if you're a vulnerable person who's being charged with these cases, you're in a really, really difficult spot. And I think the SJP notice and the information pack needs to make clear how you make representations that it's not in the public interest to prosecute you, how to fill out means forms. I think there should be expanded access to legal advice and assistance, whether or not that's through a helpline, whether or not that's through an online portal, or whether that's by expanding legal aid to allow people to have real legal representation. Because as Tristan said, these are real criminal charges. It might seem low level and not a big deal, but you're ending up with a criminal charge uh, and potentially a criminal record as a result of these things. And we should be really, really worried about a system that criminalises and prosecutes people without due process. Yeah, I agree. And can I say thanks very much indeed, Rob Nymus Candy of Appeal and Tristan Kirk of the Evening Standard. Links to more information are in the episode description. And if you'd like to engage with us, do listen to our next Transform Justice podcast. Tweet us at transform just one or subscribe to the transform justice blog or to rob's excellent unlocking potential blog thanks for listening and goodbye <laughs>